This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the state has reached a grim milestone in the fight against COVID-19. We've now had more than 100,000 confirmed cases in Florida. The death toll has reached 3,266, an average of more than 29 fatalities per day since the first deaths back on March 5th. Remember last week when the governor suggested migrant farm workers were spreading coronavirus? A lot of Latinos remember, and they say Ron DeSantis should apologize for trying to blame people who were considered essential workers and couldn't get protective gear. Advocates for seniors are blasting the governor for saying the recent spike in COVID cases is not as bad as it seems because most of the victims are young adults. They say people in nursing homes are still in danger and shouldn't be written off in the rush to reopen. Today on the Sunrise interview, you'll hear from State Representative Diane Hart, a leading voice in the legislature for prison reform. She's calling on the DOC to fire the guard who beat an inmate at Lake Correctional on Thursday. That prisoner died the very next day. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and check in with a Florida man who fought his way into Walmart without a mask because Florida. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Tuesday, June 23rd. The Florida Department of Health reported almost 3,000 new cases of coronavirus Monday, pushing the statewide total to 100,217 cases since the pandemic began. But Governor DeSantis says the recent spike in COVID cases isn't as bad as it sounds because it's affecting younger people who are nowhere near as vulnerable to the virus. Not only are they testing positive because they're testing more, they're also testing positive at a higher rate um, increasingly over the last week. And that's something that you want to look at, because when you have an asymptomatic illness, if you test 100 people and you get 10 positives, you test 200 and you get 20, that's kind of what you would expect. Well, here, um, even with testing increasing or being flat, the number of people testing positive is, is accelerating faster than that. And so, you know, that's evidence that there's transmission within those Uh, communities, um, particularly the 20s and 30s. So again, not huge clinical consequences, but in terms of spread and in terms of some of the vulnerable populations, um, you know, eventually seeping in there, you know, certainly a a cause for concern. But our cases are shifting in a radical direction younger. The median age of COVID cases may indeed be going down, but the disease is still just as deadly for seniors, especially in nursing homes and adult living facilities. Florida Congressman Ted Deutsch is hoping the governor won't forget them and will stop playing the blame game. We can't let seniors and those with disabilities quietly endure the brunt of this crisis. It's been 100 days since Governor DeSantis ordered Florida's nursing homes closed to visitors. 100 days without any family and friends, 100 days just hoping that a video call is enough. And those 100 days were supposed to be spent slowing the spread and planning to get COVID-19 under control. We were supposed to focus on testing and tracing and isolation. Those are the tools that we have now. But here in my state, in Florida, Governor DeSantis has failed to use the past 100 days to put a comprehensive plan in place. Instead, he blamed. He blamed farm workers with racially charged rhetoric. He blamed young people. He blamed the media. And it is the most vulnerable Floridians who are paying the price. Residents and staff of long-term care facilities account for more than half of the reported deaths in our state, over 1,600 lives lost. And yes, the average age of new cases going down and deaths I have not spiked, uh, certainly not yet anyway, but cases 
are skyrocketing. And setting new records multiple times last week, Florida confirmed a total of 22,000 cases in the past seven days. And it is our older family and friends, our most vulnerable neighbors, who are stranded in isolated islands throughout our state inside nursing homes. And even if isolation uh, has protected many, the governor has failed to chart a course for relief from this harsh lockdown. And now we're in a far worse position, bracing for what the coming months will bring. My message today is that we can't protect our nursing homes unless we get the fundamentals right. We can't give up preventing outbreaks because it's mostly younger people, as the governor pointed out, and expect that Floridians and nursing homes will be okay because they're locked away. That's not acceptable. It's not what aging in America should look like. Nursing homes have been off limits to the public since the crisis began, and residents are stuck inside. Toby Edelman is the senior policy attorney at the Centers for Medicare Advocacy, and she's worried that residents' rights are being trampled during the pandemic. The Trump administration has wiped out many of the regulations designed to protect seniors in nursing homes, and Edelman says the corporations that run them are even asking for legal immunity so they cannot be sued for failing to protect their own residents and staffers from COVID-19. What we're actually seeing now is a lot of finger pointing, and there is more than enough blame to go around. We know that residents were at high risk at the beginning of this pandemic. Uh, Residents are generally of advanced age and have multiple health conditions, but the situation did not have to be this bad. We did not need so many deaths to happen. Researchers that I trust are finding and reporting that facilities with low staffing levels, historically poor quality of care, and poor infection control practices are more likely to get rampant COVID-19 outbreaks. Facilities are not without blame in this situation. But probably the biggest problem that we have seen is the lack of federal leadership. States have been left entirely on their own and they are competing with each other for tests and personal protective equipment. What we have now is a very lethal combination. We have waiver of protection for residents, No one overseeing care, no families, no ombudsmen, very limited visits by state certain agencies, lots of money being given to facilities. The administrator said about the first $1.5 billion that nursing homes were getting, there are no strings attached, do whatever you want with the money. And finally, at the state level, and maybe soon at the federal level, there are calls for immunity from liability. This is a lethal combination for residents. I think it's not too soon to think about how to undo the damage that has been done, although of course we can never get back all the people we have lost. But I hope that next year Congress will be able to effectively channel public outrage into necessary changes to reverse course and protect residents and staff lives. The Florida Alliance of Retired Americans is accusing the governor of trying to conceal the true number of COVID cases. The state health department is now telling hospitals not to report the number of patients in intensive care beds. Instead, they want hospitals to report the number of patients in those beds who require what's described as an intensive level of care. Bill Sowers, the president of the Florida Alliance for Retired Americans, says this is an effort to cook the books and hide the number of patients with COVID-19. He also says we'd all be a lot safer from the virus if the governor cared as much about our health as he does about his public relations. The governor is also catching heat for suggesting migrant workers are a large part of the problem in Florida. Here's what DeSantis said last week as the number of COVID cases began to spike. 
When you look at like these farm workers and the migrant workers, and we'll show some examples of, of what, that, what that does in terms of when you're in those types of conditions, how this thing can really spread broadly. So there was a migrant worker from Miami that went up to this watermelon farm, was uh, positive uh, with COVID. Uh, they figured that out. Uh, so then they tested 100 workers at the watermelon farm, and 90 of them tested positive. I don't believe a single one of them had symptoms. Maybe one of them had symptoms. The rest were asymptomatic. Uh, and so that's a 90% positivity. And part of the reason is, is when you have workers like that, they're living in, in really close confines, uh, sometimes multi-generational, uh, but the real close extended contact in those living conditions is really conducive for having this spread. The governor's effort to blame migrant workers is not going over well in Hispanic communities. State Representative Javier Fernandez says the governor is trying to cover up for his own failures. Folks, I think we're living in very dark and sad times when our governor places the blame, as he had in other circumstances, uh, for the, the rapid rise in cases of coronavirus, not on his failed leadership, but on some of the most, most vulnerable members of our community here in Florida. Uh, blaming farm workers, other Hispanics who are in the service sector, who have been essential workers, who have gone to work, answered the call to duty in service of their communities, uh, is absolutely embarrassing, appalling, and frankly, we look forward to his apologies, but we're tired of apologies. What we need is for the governor to take action. We need for the governor to call a special session uh, to help protect these vulnerable communities uh, from the spread of the virus uh, due to the lack, uh, due to their lack of access to quality health care by expanding Medicaid and other programs. We need to have the governor call and take action in a special session so we can address uh, the glaring weaknesses in our public health system and in our unemployment system, which has precluded many people from staying home or getting the services they need to protect themselves. Natasha Otero-Santiago is vice president of the Democratic Hispanic Caucus in Florida. She says DeSantis owes them an explanation plus an apology. I'm outraged at this moment at the implications of Governor DeSantis um, blaming the Latino community of our state of Florida for the increase in COVID-19 cases. This is not the first time that this administration has put the blame on the victims of this pandemic to steer away the blame from themselves and their lack of transparency, leadership uh, for this pandemic. We have seen in Florida and from the White House a constant blame on others instead of looking closely at their lack of contact tracing, reliable testing for COVID-19, the turnaround and fast results, uh, you know, of this uh, testing, a full and timely closure and lockdown of Florida to prevent the spread of the virus, not only from within, but also from tourists arriving on cruises and airplanes, um, people coming for conferences, etc. And having a coordinated plan, definitely, they, they haven't had a coordinated plan to help all residents of the state. As a Latina and Puerto Rican, I am enraged now that now Governor DeSantis focused an attack on our community and blames Latinos for the exponential increase of cases in Florida. While it has been his administration, the one who has consistently lacked a well-thought and transparent plan to keep everyone safe. So it's because of this, we are asking for DeSantis to please do an announcement or a statement 
explain where he has gotten his information that Latinos are the ones spreading and are the cause of this exponential growth of COVID testing. And eight Democrats who serve in the Florida Senate are also piling on. They've written a letter to the governor asking him to apologize for blaming Hispanic farm workers for the rise in COVID cases, saying his statements are either misinformed and insensitive or shameful scapegoating of an entire ethnic community. Either way, they say it's offensive and inappropriate for the governor. An inmate at Lake Correctional Institution was beaten by a guard last week and died the next day in a hospital. State Representative Diane Hart is demanding an investigation. Next up on the Sunrise interview, she says it's time to take a serious look at officer misconduct behind prison walls. You're listening to the Sunrise podcast from Florida Politics, and we are much obliged. The Florida Hospital Association has released the OPEN plan, designed to allow Florida's safe resumption of elective surgeries and procedures. OPEN stands for O, observe the COVID-19 rate of community occurrence. P, prevent transmission. E, establish the process to restore elective surgeries and procedures. And N, network with all healthcare providers. You can read the open plan today at fha.org. Welcome back to Sunrise. In the midst of a national debate over police brutality, it can be easy to overlook officers who work behind the razor wire in our prisons. But State Representative Diane Hart of Tampa is determined to bring the same level of accountability to corrections officers as the marchers are demanding for police officers. Last Thursday, Officer Michael Riley beat an inmate named Christopher Howell, and Representative Hart says Howell died the very next day. This was a gentleman named Christopher Howell. He had been in prison I think he went in. He had a four-year sentence, so he's already been in two years. He was to be released by June 2022. And this guard, according to inside sources, had kind of been aggravating him for the last week or so. And then that morning of the 18th, he's been handcuffed. He's been beaten. Morning of the 19th, he was pronounced dead. He had been taken to an outside hospital where it was pronounced dead, but it was from the use of force. And that's what prompted me to write this letter because we're dealing with this every day on the outside. So now we're talking about people on the inside that don't have a voice. And having been an advocate for inmates, and everybody knows it because I've been over 50 facilities, they immediately reach out to me to ask me, please, Can you say something, do something? What is it that you can do? If nothing else, he needs to be suspended. I know they're not going to probably suspend him without pay. But my thought is pull the camera and let's get rid of him right now. Just as we're doing with our police who are exhibiting use of force, something's got to happen because this is probably my 10th use of force where somebody has been brutally beaten, maimed, or killed. So this is not my first rodeo with DOC and these actions. So at some point, we've got to stand up and say, we're not going to allow our officers, just like we're not going to allow our police, to do this. On the outside, we're not going to tolerate it on the inside. I think the officer should be fired, pull the film, fire the officer. You know that it's excessive use of force. Let's fire him. Let's get in charge because you know that. But I know they're not going to charge him until they complete their investigation. But for me, our investigation takes months 
sometimes in a case may be open a year or more. And that's far too long for what we keep seeing happening in our facilities. Uh, you've been one of the most outspoken advocates for prison reform in Florida. It seems like bad things happen in prisons every day and nothing changes. Do you get any sense at all that that is moving? Well, what I have a sense of is that legislation is going to have to take place to ensure that officers get the same treatment as our police officers out in the free world. We cannot continue allowing people to do this and get away with it and say, well, you know, we demoted this one, we fired that one, but, you know, Rep, there's unions. I'm not sure exactly yet how we as legislators figure into this equation, but what I do know is that we cannot continue at the rate we're going. I've seen too many already in just my two years in the legislature. Imagine all the years that I wasn't here, and there hasn't been but one person, one other legislator that really paid any attention to our inmates. I'm a 37-year business owner. I've been hearing these stories for 37 years in my beauty salon and barber shop. So what it tells me is enough is enough. And it is now time, just as we're doing on the outside, it's time that we begin to show them that this cannot continue to happen inside of our facility. It's happening every single day. Something's going on around this state of Florida, and we cannot have this. I'm, I talked to the secretary. Secretary Inches assured me, well, Rep, you know that we're protecting. No, you're not protecting people. Cheryl Weimer had her neck broke over at Law. I had just been there weeks before. I turned around and went back. People in their young adult program were petrified to even talk to me. They wouldn't open their mouth, but their parents reached out and said, my child will be getting out in a week and a half. They'd love to tell you what really happened. You know what I mean? So enough of this mess. DOC has got to step up and we've got to, I don't know how we get this culture out. I really don't know, but it's been going on for 35, 40 years, probably even longer than that. But my years in business, I've been hearing this for more than 35 years, the abuse that goes on in our facilities. Hey, but I want them to know that there's a new girl on the block, and I intend to follow this mess because we cannot allow this to continue. The culture has got to stop. Somebody's got to step up and say enough is enough. This must stop now. Representative Hart is calling for the immediate arrest of Officer Riley. Over the past two years, there have been 60 arrests of correctional officers, contract workers, and prison medical staff for a variety of illegal activities. And Hart is wondering if the Department of Corrections has become the new breeding ground for illegal activities by the staff instead of the inmates. Your calendar of events starts at 9 when the nominating commission of the 3rd District Court of Appeal will continue interviewing applicants for an opening created by the resignation of Judge Vance Salter. The Southwest Florida Water Management District Governing Board holds an online meeting at 9. The Department of Transportation holds a webinar at 9.30 to discuss a project extending the Suncoast Parkway from Citrus County to the Georgia border. The State University Systems Board of Governors will meet at 11 and receive presentations from universities about plans to reopen for the fall semester. Secretary of State Laura Lee 
speaks about election security during an online meeting of the Florida Economics Club at noon. Congresswoman Lois Frankel will discuss COVID-19 and racial injustice during a video call with the Florida LGBTQ plus Democratic Caucus. That's at 1. Also at 1, the Florida Board of Athletic Training meets in conference call. At 1.30, a Leon County judge hears arguments in a lawsuit that seeks to bar a North Florida state attorney candidate from the ballot. The Visit Florida Marketing Council holds a conference call at 1.30 to talk about a new marketing plan. The Visit Florida Finance Committee holds a conference call at 4 to talk about the new budget. And finally, it's time for the latest from Florida men who still can't figure out why you should wear a mask during a pandemic in one of the busiest stores around. A Florida man goes viral after being recorded fighting his way into a Walmart in Orlando after refusing to wear a mask. As the elderly guy heads inside, the greeter said he had to mask up, but the unidentified man shoved his way inside and promptly fell on the floor. The Walmart greeter must have played football back in his younger days because he managed to block the guy by holding out his arms like a picket fence and backing up to block his way out. The beauty was he never even laid hands on him. Florida man left the store empty-handed after other people began razzing him for spreading germs. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.